Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Stuart Butler, and looking around the room, I see some beautiful faces of my children in the photos in the corner of my office, but I also see other faces like Pete DeMeo. I'm pretty picturesque. Mm. I look I look good on a podcast. And Phil Frisco. Hey, everybody. And Misha Bokikio. Arguably the most attractive person in the room. She's the easiest on the eyes of all of us, that is for sure. <laughs> We are on episode 40, ladies and gentlemen. We're about to hit a midlife crisis. Some would say over the hill. Yeah, we're over the hill. Yeah. Hey, I'm almost 40. <laughs> I should have made cake for today. I totally dropped the ball. Yeah, it's a big one. It has a zero at the end. Why do numbers with zeros at the end always get treated special? I've never understood that. Anyway, I'll make a cake for 50. There you go. All right, we should do something really special for 50. Mm, any ideas out there? Throw yeah. them at us. Yeah, submit your ideas. So, we're going to be talking about what today, Pete? This is your episode. So, today we're going to be talking about finding the right mindset for your hotel advertising. Ooh. It's going to be exciting. Where does one find their mindsets? Well, I think the point we're going to get across today is the might right mindsets. So, the mindset used for PPC is not the same one that you'd use for other marketing out there. Mm. And if you use the same one, it's going to get you in trouble. I'm interested. I'm going to stick around and listen to that. I hope everyone else at home will too. But before we get into that, let's jump into the news. Who has a nice news story for us? I got one. Um, I saw an article on Marketing Land that says, by the end of 2017, there will be more than 30 million voice assistants in U.S. homes, meaning your Google Homes and Amazon Echoes and Dots and all those fun voice devices not even, not even including phones, which which kind of do that too. But I think this is going to be a, a big factor in changing search and especially how people search and search queries. Yeah, I have already seen this having a big impact on just search queries and how people are searching, like you just pointed out. I mean, this is really going to have to put marketers, in particular search engine marketers, in a totally different outside-of-the-box comfort zone, really rethinking how we're structuring our markups or how we're writing our content or how we're putting our ads out. I'm particularly interested in how this is going to affect the paid side of thing because I feel like once these devices start incorporating advertising, that's really going to change the game. Oh, big time. Yeah, this is going to be, uh, I think it's going to be a, a really big factor, especially because I'm planning on getting one myself here in the next week or so. Well, yeah. it's interesting because you know one of the things in this article specifically is there are so many new apps or they're called skills from for alexa but nobody has a really good one you know people will download app or the different skills they'll try them but then they abandon them within a week because they don't really do that much so it's kind of not to use the term but it's a little bit of the wild wild west in terms of skill development and finding one that's actually going to stick well i feel like the same thing happened when mobile phones were first released though as far as smartphones you know we saw all kinds of apps out there if you think of back the first commercials you saw for iphones it was somebody shaking it and popcorn was popping just all kinds of stupid crap that people don't really need but thought was cool but now apps are super hyper relevant people actually do use them so i think we'll probably see that same transformation with the voice devices as well yeah and there's two sides to this coin right because this not not only affects us as consumers and how we search and, and book travel but it also affects how we live our lives and so how we control our homes, right? Smart devices in our homes, lights, uh, AC, things like that. And we talked last week about the trends that we think are affecting hotels 
including tech taking over. And, and this is part of it too. So if at home I have these creature comforts, then eventually I'm going to expect them as a utility at the property, just like Wi-Fi, right? Wi-Fi started out, I had it in my house. Not every hotel had it. I don't go to a hotel now that doesn't have Wi-Fi. And I think at some point, it might be a couple of years, but at some point voice activated stuff is going to be a prerequisite for a hotel because everyone's going to have it in their house. Yeah, you're going to want to walk into your hotel room and say, Alexa, turn on the television, turn on the lights, and bam, it just happens right then as soon right. as you enter your room. Yeah, and when, when Las Vegas is doing that, they're putting an, an Amazon Echo in every single room in their so thousands and thousands of rooms. And Amazon loves that. I mean, you can't yeah, beat that do. advertising. Yeah, it's great. But it it really is from the marketing side of stuff, which is really where we come at it from, it, it does make us rethink. Because if we're, if we're really truly entering a surplus, a search engine results page-less uh, society, then like you said, how we how we mark up our HTML, how we how we actually prepare the content on our site is going to be completely different because we're going to be trying to cater to a question and answer type scenario. So, you know, is the visuals on the website going to matter as much, you know? Yeah, I mean, well, to use Ricky Bobby's quote, if you're not first, you're last. And I think that's going to be the case for voice results because let's say there are ad positions. What are they going to do? They're going to say the first result is this. Would you like to hear another result? It's going to get to the point where if you're not the very first person that Alexa or Google Home goes to for the answer, then you may might as well be invisible to your customers. I mean, that's a great w rule in life. I mean, if you're ever in doubt from a marketing perspective, just think about what Ricky Bob Bobby would do, and you pretty much got the answer. <laughs> There's your lesson for today. What yep. would Ricky Bobby do? There you go. All right, so what's the next item we have? I have one. It is... I don't think very surprising for anyone, but I thought it was interesting regardless. It is from businesstravelnews.com, and the title of the article, it's pretty short and to the point, but it is, Uber was the single most expensed supplier in the fourth quarter. So just kind of thinking about, um, I think this is very applicable to the business travelers we have in the room, Stuart. They are using Uber more than they are taxis. So just looking at some of the numbers in the article, in all, Uber accounted for 6% of transactions more than other top suppliers like Starbucks, Delta, and American Airlines. And in the transportation category alone, Uber made up 52% of transactions, whereas if you're looking at other competitors, Lyft only made up 4%. And this is compared to um, only the supplier side. So Obviously, lodging does take up a big chunk of expenses. Um, looking at some of that, Airbnb was on the very low end, so I feel like they're still tr struggling to attract those business travelers. Um, the big hotel brands that we saw that were being expensed the most were um, Hampton Inn and Hilton. So just some interesting stats on that, I thought. You know, I thought this was an interesting article because they said it's 6% of transactions, not 6% of the, re the cost of expenses you know so that kind of makes a little bit of sense because you fly to a destination on delta once but then you're going back and forth via uber four five six times mm -hmm. during your stay yeah it's a, it's a little misleading but but i still think the fact that you're expensing uber more than taxis it is very compelling data right and if, if the taxi industry doesn't wake up soon then they could be completely lost 
And I don't understand why someone hasn't really stopped and tried to consolidate the taxi industry and say, and look at Uber and why it's successful. It's not successful because you get to hang out with a complete stranger. I think there's a novelty to that. But really, at the end of the day, from a security perspective, from a just, I don't really like talking to strangers that much, honestly, personally, and a lot of people feel that way. I, I would probably rather it be a professional driver. That's not why I use Uber. The reason I use Uber is because of the convenience of the app, the the the, the frictionless transaction, the fact that I can call it up from wherever I am without having to talk to a human being. I click a couple of buttons. I don't have to give my credit card or deal with any of that stuff. I just click a button. It shows up. I go to my destination. I'm done, right? I would actually prefer it to be a professional driver and not have to feel obligated to sit next to them and have a conversation personally, especially when I'm beat at the end of the day with a trade show or something like that. So if the taxi industry would just to get together and create an app that had the convenience of Uber or Lyft, but for professional taxi drivers, I think it would probably negate some of this lost revenue. I don't think so. Uh, and, and here's why. I think if taxis want to survive, they're going to have to embrace Uber and not compete against it. And you know, maybe one day Uber will come out with a you know, a preferred driver list and you get a little icon that says this is a taxi and the transaction, it does goes through Uber, but a taxi comes and picks you up. T to me, I can't see, you know, the small mom and pop taxi companies and yellow cabs and all the big ones out there getting together and coming up with one standard platform. I mean, half these guys still work on CBs, you know, and, you know, cell phone text messaging between, you know, dispatch and, and the cab itself. Yeah, but I could see like a license model, right? If, if an entity came out and created the software, it could even be Uber that licensed it. But someone has a license subscription model that everyone adopted because to get them all in a room and to agree and to subsidize it doesn't make sense. But if someone actually created the technology and then did a really good job promoting it to all the major cities and then get out to the rural areas after that, it could work, but it, it's a long shot. I just wonder how much of... Uber's success, I know you just compare them to Lyft. How much of that is because they became a verb? You Uber somewhere. That's that's what you're doing. You're, you're Ubering. It's kind of like Googling became, instead of saying, oh, I searched for this, I Googled it. Like, I think a lot of their success and a lot of their market share becomes their popularity. And a lot of it's because people refer to them as a verb like that. Yeah, and it's weird because Uber, I feel like, doesn't do a good as good a job marketing or, or they're... they're guerrilla marketing tactics to me aren't as good as Lyft's and yet Lyft still doesn't have the market share still doesn't have the name recognition that Uber does because it I feel like there's riding on Uber's coattail though it's essentially the yeah. same thing except you have the option to leave a tip which it's like why would I do that if I don't have to with Uber well Uber has the option you just don't tip no I, no they don't have the option as far as I know they don't but yeah, in the you can tip in Uber I mean, well, you can hand them cash, but in Lyft, it's like an option uh, when right. you actually pay on the app. Well, it's, it's just like the, the voice article that we just looked at. People choose one voice assistant. They're going to choose Amazon or they're going to choose Google Home. Mm -hmm. Having both Lyft and Uber device or apps on your phone and going between them interchangeably, I think is... That's a struggle for most people. They're not comfortable with it. Yeah, I, I've done it. Like when I go to certain markets, if I can't get an Uber and they, maybe there's a Lyft available, there's some markets there's just more Lyft drivers than Uber. So yeah. I, I feel like they've tried to get penetration in certain areas. But you're right, Uber is the verb. 
but Lyft are doing some really cool marketing. Like the some of the video stuff they do on YouTube where they um, get like a famous person to be a Lyft driver for the day and surprise people. Like they had an Odell Beckham one a couple of weeks ago. It was pretty funny. And their commercials when they pick on Ubers a little, they're funny too. Yeah. Like I feel like they're, they're the scrappy younger brother that's trying to get more attention. But Well, I'm pretty sure they're in Myrtle Beach now, so you can test them both out in Myrtle Beach. Yeah, I'm brand loyal to Uber most of the <laughs> Yeah. Alright, what's next? Well, the last one we have is not necessarily a news item, but Skift came out with their Megatrends Defining Travel in 2017. And this is a pretty lengthy download. It's about a 65-page report going over the 15 megatrends that Skift sees being of utmost importance this year. And it goes through things like humanity returning to travel, uh... Corporate travel tech is starting to change. Digital platform disruptions, which kind of goes to the the voice search and whatnot. And there's a lot of different really cool things in this report. I would say go ahead and download it, take a look at it, and see whether that you can insert into your marketing. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of funny that they're like that 15 mega trends, like, and there's 15 of them. Like, does that not seem a little over the at top? At some point, they're not mega. Like one or two of them are mega. The rest are just kind of trends. But, um, you know, they're very clickbaity in general with their their headlines, so that's okay. But there was a lot of overlap. You know, we did a, a couple of episodes. The last two episodes were about what we feel are the trends and how we're deeming this the year of the guest. And there was some overlap in what we're seeing as trends, and they are. I think there's some just common sense about technology and stuff like that. Some of theirs, like I listened to their podcast and they, their last podcast, they kind of replayed from their conference when they unveiled these 15 megatrends and... You know, I, I'd say half to three quarters of them I really agree with. The other ones I feel like you were scratching a little bit there. You're reaching to get these trends. They're like a little bit, like, I don't know, a little frou-frou for my taste. If you're going to do 15, why not do 17 since it's 2017? That would have made more sense to me. That would be a good marketing, uh, mm. yeah, a little. Stretch a little bit farther and just go yeah. ahead and do 17. Like, you're already at 15. Just go for it. Anything to say, Phil? We're kind of beating up on it. On the hey, I, I think bit. you guys covered it. Right. I, have, I have nothing more to add to that. If they put ultimate in the headline too, like the ultimate, ultimate 15, 15 mega, mega extreme <laughs> trends, extreme 2017 and super edition trend, Ultra. trends with a Z. Yeah. yeah. Well, we are releasing our travel trends study soon, so I'm open to title suggestions yeah, if we want to like one up the skift one. <laughs> What's better than mega? Six giga. <laughs> the giga trends. The giga trends. The terror trends. I don't know. All right. We diverse as always. Let's jump into our topic, shall we, Pete? This is your episode, man. You want to kick us off? Yeah, absolutely. So what we want to talk about today is really the fact that there are so many diverse platforms out there for a hotel to market on on a day-to-day basis. You have platforms such as Facebook that drives a ton of traffic, but they always don't drive a lot of revenue. And then you have things like PPC within Google AdWords that drive a ton of revenue, but may not necessarily be the best platform for brand awareness and connecting with your friends and fans. So what we wanted to do, and this kind of came up when we started with the beta for Google's, what was HPA and is now GHA, or Google Hotel Ads, and you know, initially when we started using GHA, we were kind of wrestling with the, the concept of it a little bit. We knew that it was a Google product. It was a pay-per-click based model. 
And internally, we were trying to figure out how we apply PPC strategies to GHA. And you know, it took us a little bit of time. Luckily, we we're in on the initial beta with Google, so we had you know a little bit of a learning curve. And what we found was you can't necessarily put your PPC hat on when setting up a GHA account. While they're on the same site, while they're doing the same, talking to the same customers in many cases, they are very different. And that kind of brings us to the point where you, know, you really can't apply the same process to all marketing channels. It really does help to sit down in a room, look at where you're marketing, and then kind of create some silos of a Facebook campaign, this is what I should focus on, whereas a PPC campaign, I focus on this, TripAdvisor, I focus on this, GHA, I focus on this, and so on. Now, there are a ton of platforms out there. We're really just going to dive in and look at a few of the real key ones that do drive the most traffic and the most return on investment for hotels. And that is pay-per-click, Google's GHA platform, TripAdvisor's Instant Book and TripConnect platform, and then Facebook advertising. There are a lot beyond that. Uh, Yahoo's Gemini platform, Sojourn, there's a lot of other options that are out there. But in this case, we really just want to look at the key ones and, and go from there. Yeah, and I would say before you start any kind of advertising, right? advertising, you're spending money by definition. Right? You're spending money to, to build awareness or gain something, right? So sell a widget, get a booking, obtain an email address. Before you spend any money on any platform, there's two things that I think you've got to do. One is make sure that you can track it. You have to have your analytics squared away. Make sure that you know how you're doing, how you're performing. And two, before you spend a single penny, make sure you have defined what success looks like. And you understand that in your mind and for your specific property, what, what am I trying to get out of this particular advertising spend? And that's what we're going to get into today. We're going to really look at, for the different ones, what is it you're trying to get out of it? Where is the consumer in the journey? How much ROI can I expect from this platform? Or how many email addresses or how much awareness or branding or whatever it is? And it's different for each one. And that's the point. That's what we're trying to drive home today is looking at everything. You can't compare it to each other. You can't expect the same ROI. You can't expect the same value in return. So defining that success before you spend a single penny is really, really critical. Absolutely. And there's a companion blog post on our site about this podcast, and it has a what we call the Hotel Marketing Channel Matrix. And it looks at the key marketing platforms uh, on a line of a very active mindset where you're managing it constantly to a very passive mindset where you're more of a monitor after it's set yeah, up. Yeah, set and forget it. Uh, and then if it's a true revenue generating platform, or is it more of a branding type platform? And looking at where each of your marketing channels fall on that matrix will kind of give you a, a visual idea of how active and how much of a ROAS focus you want to make. So take a look at that. That is uh, going to be both a link in the podcast notes, but also its own blog post on our site. And the links for that will be in the podcast notes. But the first one I want to jump into is PPC marketing. So in, in terms of PPC, it really is a hands-on all hands-on deck mindset. 
where you're managing it on a daily basis, making sure that you have optimized everything under the sun. And that mindset is not always the same as a, you know, say a Facebook ad, but it is a very active mindset. You want to focus on return on investment. Now, when you dive into PPC, there are some, some variations uh, between, say, a direct revenue campaign versus a broad reach brand type campaign. Uh, I mean, what do you guys think? Do you see? Yeah, I mean, I think the reason this is such a, a an active campaign is because of the variables that you're dealing with, right? With with this, you've got, you know, the amount you're spending. You've got the quality score of, of the campaign itself, which it, it has a lot of factors, including the site, the page you're sending it to. You've got the keywords that you're targeting and excluding. You've got the, the ad copy itself. Uh, you know, so there's a lot of factors that all contribute to the performance, and you've got to constantly be manipulating and testing and optimizing all or, or, or a lot of those different variables all the time to make sure that you're not leaving money on the table. Well, there's that, and I don't I don't mean to jump ahead, but you're hitting people at different parts of the funnel with pay-per-click as well. I mean, there's there's the, obviously you know someone searching for your brand, they click on your ad, they come and book a room. But if, if you want to step, step back, you can hit more broad keywords and get people at the beginning of their funnel rather than the end. I mean, this, and, and then you have display advertising. You can, basically your billboard across the internet where you're, where you're showing an image of your your property or, or what have you like this is it hits every point of the funnel more so than any other advertising platform online and then you got different audiences on different say search engines right because you got pay-per-click True. on google and yahoo and bing you know so and some smaller search engines so you got to look at a myriad of factors and figure out where your budget should be spent but i agree with you pete i think all of ppc I'd say 99.9% maybe of PPC should be ROI driven. Like the, the, the goal of it should be to make more money than you're spending at a rate that is acceptable to your business. You know, if you're a true hotel, maybe that's a two to one ROI. If you're condominiumized, maybe it's a little higher than that because you haven't to split the, the revenue with an owner or something like that. But your, your primary measurement should be revenue, but you should be looking at secondary measurements too, like email acquisitions or social following or whatever form submissions, stuff like that. Yeah, I don't think people have a hard time getting their mind, <clears throat> or at least their, their marketing in a PPC mindset. That really does seem to be the default one people go to when looking at any medium. And that's kind of our, we'll call, call that the control group yeah. in terms of mindsets. But people still make mistakes, right? Because mm -hmm. they still set up a campaign and it's just, I'm going to do some broad matches on my brand name and I'm going to have a generic ad copy and send it to my homepage and I'm just going to you know, cap my daily spend and let it run. Yeah, it's kind of back to Pete's point. You can't expect a, uh, a the same ROI on a broad term as you would on a brand term, even though it's the same platform. You just have to set your expectation. Well, yeah. I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that we see with AdWords a lot compared to some of the other platforms we're going to talk about that are, that are a little bit more intuitive and user-friendly. I feel like AdWords is very nuanced. It's very complicated, and you really need to be familiar with the platform and you really need to know what you're doing when you go in there and have goals set up in advance to really accurately measure this stuff. It's definitely not something you can just willy-nilly go in and throw in some keywords and expect it to just work itself out. Well, you can do that. <laughs> we just wouldn't recommend it, right? You, yes, you can do that, but not Yeah, I mean, we, we get clients that come to us that are running a pay-per-click pay campaign in-house, and, 
you know, they just say, it's really not working for us. So we say, well, let us, let's take a look at it. And in every case, you know, if, say we're, we're charging a 20% management fee, for example, for managing the spend. In almost every case, we can take a campaign that someone's managing in-house, improve the ROI so much that even though you're giving us 20% of the, of the spend, you're still making a better ROI at the end of the day because the campaign's now double or triple the performance that it was before just because we we are so you know versed in this technology it's really easy to get into adwords and think you know what you're doing and put up a campaign and pat yourself on the back and say yeah i know how to do adwords but it i mean it's crazy when you look at the the nuances in there like when you look at like call out extensions and all these other extensions that you can add on there and how that can impact things and even just testing a b testing ad copy and and uploading remarketing lists yeah and uh, automated bidding paring down the the negative keywords and there's so many little things that have one two three four percent impact on your conversion rates or your click-through rates or whatever it is that over time you can really make a big difference if you spend enough time on your pay-per-click campaign yeah, and in terms of this matrix this is definitely the most active of any platform it is, and a lot of the platforms that we're going to talk about, you set it up and you monitor it, but in the case of PPC, once you set it up, then the data starts coming in, which means you have to really, in some cases, completely rethink what your initial plan was because you start seeing, I see people are coming from this. They're not converting here, but they are here, and you start changing your strategy pretty quickly. Uh, so that's why we kind of set that as the, the benchmark mindset and adjust from there. The next one that we want to jump into is, this is really the one that spurred this conversation, is the Google Hotel ads. You know, what was called HPA, Google changed on us to GHA, but in all cases, this is basically the ads that a customer would see if they do a destination search or a search for a particular brand, and they see the actual price for a lodging property per night. And typically that will be across the OTAs, and if that property is doing really what they should be doing and bidding in GHA, they would see the, the property site as well. This is a lot less of a management and more of a setup process. You really want to make sure that you have your setup correct and you have the interface between your property management system and booking engine to Google so they can pull the best rate. I mean, Phil, you're really the, the resident GHA expert What's your thoughts on the platform? Yeah, I mean, it's it's become less of an active platform and, and more of a passive platform over the past few months within the year. Um, they've, they've come up with new tools, uh, new features within the platform that, that really help, you know, someone like me managing this day-to-day. -day now is less, I, mean, I don't have to do this day-to-day -day necessarily. It's more of a... And monitoring, setting bids, you know, monitoring your spends, setting your budgets a few times a month. That's it, it's it's much less than it used to be. It was a it was check this daily, make sure you don't overspend, and 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 monitoring your multipliers. And we can go into that further. I don't really want to right now. I'm sure we have great documentation that you can view <laughs> if you'd like. But uh, yeah, this this platform was highly active and has recently become much more passive. Yeah, and really that's because. Google's getting really smart, right? And, and you know, there's a lot of tools out there for pay-per-click that quote-unquote unquote, automate your pay-per-click strategy, but I, I'm yet to find one that's really does a better job than a human being unless you're spending gazillions of dollars 
and you just don't have the resources to, to do it manually. But with GHA, with their machine learning, with their automated bid multipliers, where they look at, say, for example, where someone is in the conversion funnel, and if someone's closer to purchase, they're going to increase your bid automatically. That's something you could never do on your own, right? You could never manually say, I know that consumer XYZ that just hit my site is almost about to, to book. We didn't have that data. We still don't have that data, but Google does, and they can leverage that data to increase conversion rate by increasing your bids. And the re return on investment for GHA has increased tremendously. Like if you'd asked me four or five months ago, I have not been recommending it to all my clients. Just in certain scenarios, it makes sense. But now I, I'm beginning to recommend it to more people because they've really done a good job on the automated bid multipliers that make it a lot more viable. And you know, on the, on the consumer-facing side, they've done a better job putting it in front of people at the right time within the purchase cycle. It was kind of an afterthought. They tried to wedge it in in the middle of the SERP before, and now I feel like they're, they're prioritizing it a lot more, like they have flights over the last couple of years. Yeah, one thing I'll say about GHA is not to confuse automation with simplicity because when you first set up a GHA account, the machine needs to have a lot of input. You need to start setting your variables of you know, what your bid multipliers are going to be. You have to make sure that you have your interfaces correct. And if you don't do that, your property can spend way more than it needs to to perform on GHA. Once you have your, op your system set up, once you started seeing some data come in and you optimize your settings, then it becomes more of a hands-off monitoring platform. But at the beginning, don't confuse simplicity with automation because it is very tricky to get it set up and working really the way it should and be truly optimized. Yeah, and you, you still need an authorized Google um, vendor to get on GHA. You can't just call them up and say, I want to be on GHA. You can't just log in and create an account. It doesn't exist. So you need to contact a vendor like Fuel or, or another agency out there that already has access and can publish your rates. So it's something that a lot of people, I don't think, have, have dabbled in yet. And it's something that probably a lot of people have been skeptical of because they haven't seen great results from those that are doing it up until now. But I think 2017 is the year when potentially GHA could really begin to get a foothold in the market and erode some of the OTA business. I completely agree. You know, I've spoken in the past about how much I'm a fan of their flights product. And anytime I'm looking for a flight anywhere, that's the first place I go. And I feel like they're really going to ramp up their game from a hotel perspective and make the hotel ads program as good, if not better than the flights. Yeah, I agree. 100%. Yeah. And, and I mean, another thing to consider here, and it's making sure that the rates you're passing through are accurate. That's a, a big factor in where you're showing up. And, and you are you also have to have rate parity. You're still competing against OTAs within the knowledge graph here. So, you know, just making sure that you have a price that's equal or less than what the OTAs are providing for your property is is still a big factor here. Yeah, I think that's a great point that people overlook because because when people are thinking about competition. They're always looking at the, their comp set in their market, right? They look at the hotels next to them that, or the, the hotels in their market that have similar demographics and price points. But you're really competing against yourself and your distribution channels too. So no matter what channel we're talking about you advertising on, you've still got to consider that fact that you're not only competing against other hotels, you're competing against your distribution channel, your rate, 
on Expedia, your rate on Booking.com, your rate on Hotels.com. And you're going to lose out unless you have your rate parity in check, unless you have a great rate manager that is not letting that stuff get out of whack. And that is so true with HPA because, I'm sorry, with GHA, because the way your bid multipliers work, you can be spending a lot per click. If someone is doing a five-night search and they click on your hotel property, that's going to cost you several dollars. If they get there and they find that rate at the end of the process is not the best, they're going to bail out. And you paid a lot of money for that. You know, so it is important that you follow through, make sure from a rate perspective you're where you need to be so that when those people are clicking on your rate, you're getting the best, best performance. So that kind of leads us into the next one. And Phil, you kind of alluded to rate parity being important. That really is the mindset that as a marketer you want to have when dealing with TripAdvisor's Instant Book and TripConnect. Because within really the TripAdvisor platform, you know, so these customers are first seeing your property and your rates while they're already on your profile page on TripAdvisor. So if you are even a dollar or more off from your rate versus what the OTA is, OTA is offering, no matter what you're bidding, you're not going to get that click. And we've talked about that in countless other podcasts where we talk about the importance of rate parity and ensuring that your rate is always better than the OTAs so you can collect that direct booking. TripAdvisor gives you a lot of tools through both Instant Book and TripConnect to do that. But before it ever gets to that point, your mindset really does need to be rate parity. So do you want to point out the differences between the two that you just mentioned in case anybody's unfamiliar? Yeah, good point. So Instant Book is an integration between the booking engine at your property and TripAdvisor. And the way that works is it almost creates a OTA type relationship with TripAdvisor where the booking takes place directly on TripAdvisor, the confirmation comes from TripAdvisor, and at the end of the transaction, when that person stays, TripAdvisor will charge your property either 12 or a 15% commission rate for that booking based on what your impression share, your minimum impression share is set to be. So that's kind of how Instant Book works. That is more of an interface to your booking engine you don't necessarily have control over when or where you show, but you know it is set up to be more of a commission-based. The next platform that TripAdvisor uses is TripConnect. Now that's more of a traditional PPC type campaign where you say basically what you're willing to pay to have your property and your property's rate appear at the top of the profile page for your property. Much like GHA. Very similar to GHA, correct. Uh, and what we found here is you can always bid to be number one, but that's not necessarily important. What you really want to do is make sure you're always in the top three because that means you're going to be shown front and center to the customer. It's far more important that you have the better rate than be in position one, two, or three. Yeah, and for a lot of our customers, they're in both, right? They're in Instant Book and TripConnect. And sometimes what uh, TripAdvisor does is actually puts your instant booking result in to TripConnect. So you actually get two swipes at them in the TripConnect section, which is kind of cool. But yeah, this the ROI on this is great. It's not like it used to be in Trip. We talked about this on the show before. TripAdvisor's changed. It's evolved into where it is in the funnel. It used to be someone had made a decision, wanted to book your hotel, just wanted to make sure they weren't going to get in trouble from their spouse. 
So they went and read reviews and then booked, right? So it was right at the end of the funnel. A lot more people are starting or in the middle of the funnel, they're using TripAdvisor as a research tool now. So the ROI has dropped a little bit from that perspective, but it's still one of the most qualified sources of traffic you can get because it's not just rate that someone's looked at. They've now also read the quality in the personality of your property so that they know whether or not it's really in their decision set or not. It's not just a price decision. Absolutely. With with TripAdvisor, you in, in this case, you know, the mindset is more of a rate parity mindset. From a management perspective, it's a bit more hands-off. What you do get out of TripAdvisor, and this is I really can't down you know play this up enough, is you have an amazing wealth of reports within the trip TripAdvisor platform, it can almost act as a little alert system for your revenue management team to see where you might have problems. One of the things that we use TripAdvisor for a lot as an agency is to alert our clients when you know we're looking at the TripAdvisor data and we see that there is a period of time, say four weeks out, where for some reason your ads or your rates are not showing because your price is too high or you have an avail availability issue on this time, which allows the property then to go back, either adjust their rate or start yielding an area up to account for the fact that they have very limited supply. And it gives them the tools to not only get a good return on ad spend on TripAdvisor, but also optimize their business habits a little bit. Right, yeah, that comes through the, um, the Instant Book Performance Center within TripAdvisor, and they give you yeah, like Pete said, really great information about your availability issues, pricing issues, content issues that TripAdvisor doesn't like. So that you need to pay attention to that stuff if you're on TripAdvisor just to make sure all your ducks are in a row. Yeah, and keep an eye on the platforms too because it's it's evolving. We talked about this on the show before as well. What is TripAdvisor's end game? You know, their revenue has decreased over the last 12 months. They have stock, stockholders that they have to answer to. Well, that's so, why they're popping instant book within the CPC. It's part seems. of it, right? But they, they, they're looking at the long game here. You know, they could easily dump instant book and go all, all back in on, on TripConnect. The way it, you remember how it started when you clicked on a, on a, on dates and clicked a property? It literally opened all of the TripConnect advertisers that's right you get like five yeah you get five pop-up windows so I they were not all about they that were, until you just brought yeah that up. they were getting five times to click because whenever a consumer searched they were every single OTA was OTA was having to pay that cost per clicking and you were too if you were on it so they've obviously stopped that very uh questionable I'd say practice but, it's a nice way to put it. Yeah, but they they want to <laughs> this they, is also in the dark ages too it, it I mean, the internet was pretty simple from yeah, yeah, three years ago, the dark <laughs> ages, <laughs> But, you know, so it's evolved. Though. The platform's evolved. It continues to evolve. I, I think the smart money still is on them at some point trying to disintermediate the OTAs. They want a bigger slice of the pie, and that's why they created Instant Book, right? So can they get the traction to, to make them obsolete between them and Google? It's possible. Um or, like we talked about last week's episode or the week before, did one of the big OTAs come and buy TripAdvisor? And that is a game changer. Or like we talked about, talked about in the beginning of this episode, what if voice search starts taking you straight to TripAdvisor for these listings? You never know. Yeah, and you, you think about how SERP really favors the biggest brands. And if you, if you just do a Google search for any destination hotels... Nine out of ten TripAdvisor is the number one result. Oh, and then they they don't they don't hide this for any reason at all. They they put it in their commercials. They're saying 
if when you search, search TripAdvisor New York, search TripAdvisor Los Angeles, mm-hmm. not not just hotels in Los Angeles. They're saying put TripAdvisor in your search results. So you start thinking that, and then you say it into your devices. Those things are definitely going to come into play. Yeah. Does TripAdvisor become a verb at some point? It's it's hard because it's two words, right? Yeah. Okay, let's try this with our listeners. Send me Shawan. Send me Shawan. Send me Shawan. <laughs> and then they start messages. thinking about it, and then they start doing it. Now you're just going to start whispering it in the mic. <laughs> Send me Shawan. <laughs> so the, the first time a listener sends you wine, are you going to get worried you've got a stalker? No, they can Google our address. <laughs> So. I'm at Paperclip Fireplace Monkey. <laughs> well, that's a callback to a early, early I'm going to keep making that About callback. One, once every seven episodes, Misha makes that <laughs> yeah. joke. Yes. So, TripAdvisor. One thing I can say is uh, rate parity is paramount. But before you ever get to rate parity, if you have a review problem, people aren't going to find your property. So... Well, they'll find it. They just won't oh, stay yeah, there. They'll, they'll find it, but then they'll run right they'll away. They'll find it for entertainment purposes yeah, make only. Fun of it. Yeah. So the first thing to do with TripAdvisor is make sure you get your ducks in a row in terms of customer satisfaction. We've talked about this over and over again that you know the guest satisfaction is the most important thing that you can do in, in the hospitality industry. So making sure you have great reviews, you've gotten rid of one of the big hurdles there, and now you're just looking at price parity. Cool. I think we TripAdvised it. It yes, today. we have. All right, what's next? So, so the very last one that we're going to talk about today, like I said, there's a ton more platforms out there, but we're going to look a little bit at Facebook. And Facebook is different because you're not putting your ROAS hat on. You're really looking at it from a brand perspective, interacting with your guests and your, your friends and your fans, and making sure that you build the environment where people want to stay at your property because of the relationship they already have with you. Yeah, and we're not we're, we're talking about this in the context of you already have a great organic Facebook presence. We're talking about the advertising side of, of Facebook. So promoted posts or, or ads, native ads within Facebook is what we're talking about. Correct, yeah. We're not really saying, hey, you need to make sure that you are posting X amount of times. We're assuming you've got that taken care of. That's part of your social platform. But really, the three or so types of ads that Facebook offers that allows you to get a broader reach and to reach more of your own fans. Misha, do you want to kind of share some of those platforms with us? Yeah, absolutely. So Facebook is probably my favorite platform to work with. I really enjoy running these types of ads. And they've recently updated their user interface. It's always been a lot more user-friendly than, say, something like AdWords. They've really tried to make it to where a small business owner can jump in and pretty much figure things out for themselves. And they've recently recategorized how they have their ads listed. For a while, it's been you log in to the ads manager and you just see a list of different ad types and you can select it from there. But now they have it categorized into three different parts of the funnel. So again, just I feel like the, the customer journey, putting that front and center and then categorizing the ad types by that. So they have awareness ads now, consideration ads, and conversion ads. And within each of those categories, they have placed their different ad types. You'll see um, like a local awareness ad is in the awareness ads category, or you can promote posts um, that would be perhaps an awareness ad, or you've got consideration ads, so just sending more traffic to your website with a website click ad, or video views would be in that category, or app installs, if your hotel has an app, that would be there, as well as lead generation. And then finally, the conversion ads, you'll see this when you see product category, um, or product catalog listings, you'll see this with store visits as a newer ad type, or really conversion-focused ads. 
those are in that category. So they have tons of different ad types. They have a lot of really great support online for you to learn more about them. Um, they've done a really good job of creating education centers and they've done a really good job of making each of these categorized appropriately so that when you are considering creating an ad, you can really align that with what your particular goal is for that ad and then move forward from there. Now for hotels, you're typically doing awareness and consideration, right? Conversions more towards uh, like a retail mindset, right? It can be. I think traditionally there's a lot more success in the retail space with smaller purchases, but done correctly, we have seen some success in the hotel space, and I'm speaking strictly for our clients, but you know, using these conversion-focused ads, and you need to be very careful with it. So an example that we've seen success with is, say, downloading um, a customer history list. So looking at guests who have stayed at your property last summer. If it's a large property, let's say in Myrtle Beach, we have clients that have really large email lists. So looking at their entire guest history list for the summer, uploading that to Facebook, they can match people up based on their email address and then serving them a few months out in advance serving those people that stayed last year a summer special for this year. And that's a higher propensity for a return visit anyway in, absolutely. A, in this type of market. So that, you know, in that conversion category, absolutely. But that does take some planning, some prep, um, you know, so it's not just a you wake up and you decide you're going to run an ad today type of deal. That's, you know, it takes a little bit more planning in advance. And for a hotel, I mean, there's obviously just promoting your page. If you don't have that organic reach and that fan base yet, if it's a newer page, that's where you want to start. Building up your fan base, building that rapport, building that relationship, tagging your website and having people who come to your website then go and like your Facebook page. That's where you want to start. And then once you have that, you can start really nurturing that and start converting those Facebook fan page into leads. So using the different ad types to their advantage, you can use the lead ads to turn your Facebook fans into email conversions. So putting them on your email list, or you can, um, you know, promote content specifically to your fan base because they're a warm audience. So there's a lot of outside of the box ways that you can use these ads. And that's why I like them is because you can get really creative and you can get really specific with it. So it's like show your personality, then promote it kind of thing. Yeah, it's building a relationship. And, and when we're talking about mindsets, this is probably the one that you really have to approach very differently than the others. And primarily it's because of where the consumer is in their head, right? So the others we've talked about, TripAdvisor, HPA, and AdWords, are all consumers that are actively looking for a hotel, right? They've gone to these platforms to seek a deal or a property or a destination or something. With Facebook, someone's not on there looking for a hotel, right? They're there to see the shenanigans that their family's up to or their friends are up to or the, the bands they like are up to. So you've got to intercept that. You've got to change their mindset and get them to start thinking about a vacation or remembering their vacation that they had. So it's more about nurturing the relationship and saying, hey, we're still here or catching their attention and saying, hey, we've got something bright and shiny that you might be interested in. And, and so you've really got to be not a, a spray and pray mentality at all on Facebook. You can't just put it out there and hope. You've really got to target people by like Misha said, uploading your email database by targeting your existing fans, by really narrowing down the demographics that you're targeting, and then understanding that you're trying to nudge people from where they are closer to booking, but not necessarily all the way to booking. You're just trying to push them down a funnel a little ways, and gradually, by piece by piece, you're going to get them to convert. But it's not it's not a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. It's a 
you, it's a slow wine and dine kind of process. Sure, and I think we've talked about you know some of the success metrics with other platforms being very revenue driven, and I think here you know I don't know, and you guys might feel differently if you can place one success metric across the board for these. I personally feel that it really depends on what your particular goal with for that ad type is. So if you're looking at something that you're really just trying to build your page, well, your success metric would be your page size. If you're just trying to raise awareness about a new amenity that you have, you know, you want to look at the impressions and the reach of that. If you're trying to just drive people to your website, well, then website clicks is the metric you want to look at. I think it's just very dependent on what your particular goal is. Yeah, and I'll give you an example. I was talking to a client earlier this week, and they spent fifty thousand, well, $48,000 on Facebook advertising this past year. And they made, in terms of revenue, $46,000, right? So on the surface, you're like, well, that's a negative ROI. Why would I continue to do that? But then looking more at what else they got, well, in addition, they got 52,000 email addresses. And they also got um, a bunch of website traffic and a bunch of fans as well, right? I think they added about another 30,000 fans to their list. So if you're going to put a dollar figure on each of those assets that they gained, I mean, you could easily say that an email address is worth a dollar, easily, and right? And turns that into almost a 200% return right. right there. And then what a Facebook fan is probably worth, you know, 50 cents. Just hypothetically, I'm throwing out numbers. They're probably worth, or an email is probably worth way more than that. Mm-hmm. So you've gone from a negative ROI if you look, just look at revenue, and that's just online. They weren't, they hadn't, they didn't have a, um, a, a dedicated phone number for their campaign, right? But so... You've got phone revenue too, which probably pushed it to a positive ROI anyway. But when you add revenue and phone revenue and email addresses and Facebook fans and website traffic together, that was a great successful campaign for them. When you see, I mean, everyone's kind of seen people who just put the ROAS mindset in place for Facebook, and it's always failed because you can see it in the ads where it's, it's screaming at you, book this, book this, book this. That's not what your platform, that platform necessarily needs. I mean, Stuart, you're right. This is the platform where your mindset becomes more of an engagement and being genuine with your customers. And from there, it leads to a multitude of other conversion events. But you need to make sure you understand that it's not all ROAS-based. You know, spread it around. Look at different ways that you're growing your, your list, growing your engagement, driving page views, engagement. And, and that's really where the performance is. So basically just have a purpose and a goal for all of these platforms. Know, know what metric is very important to you and make sure you're looking at that as your success metric and not something you shouldn't be. Like. Yeah, and not just one metric. You know, Look at the, the total value, value in terms of this tangible and intangible assets that you're going to gain. Well, yeah, like you just talked about with Facebook. Make sure you know everything you're getting from a certain platform. Yeah, and that really kind of brings us to the, the homework for everybody out there. Is I to, did not sign up for homework. Well, you're getting homework. Send Misha Wine. Yeah, send Misha Wine. (laughs) What I would say is if you have a whiteboard or just a a big sheet of paper, you know, put on it the marketing marketing channels that you're in and list out the mindsets that you need to follow, list out the conversion events, what you're measuring performance by, and do your best not to let your PPC mindset cloud your Facebook strategy and vice versa. You know, I think if you do that, you'll see all of your marketing improve because you're more tailored to what the customers want when they're in that phase of the, the process. 
Yeah, and I, I'd also say try to have a balanced campaign, right? Don't put all your money into AdWords or all your money into Facebook. Try to spread it out. And don't necessarily compare platform to platform because we've talked about the different places people are in the funnel and the different value and mindset. So I, when you're looking at your budget, I, I definitely feel like pay-per-click's probably where probably the highest investment you want to be spending. But the others, you need to spread it out pretty evenly and make sure, depending on your property. But you want to make sure you're spending significantly in all these platforms because you're reaching different audiences at different points. And then sometimes you're reinforcing the message across different channels for the same audience, right? So that advertising in one spot is going to get you a certain to a certain point. When you're advertising in multiple different distribution channels, that's where a real that's where your strategy kind of comes together and you're going to really have a lot of success. Yeah, that that's completely true. And if if you look at uh the the podcast notes and also the the blog that we have associated with it, it does have all of these marketing channels and all the other ones that we didn't really talk about. You know, things like you know, Instagram and whatnot. Where does that fall in in the marketing mix? And we, we've also talked about it in past podcasts where you do want to have a little bit of your marketing budget set aside, set aside for those exploratory type campaigns to see what else you can get. Yeah, I, I still stay. You should have 15, 20% of your budget. You don't know where you're going to spend it this year and you, you apply it to stuff that you haven't really tried, experimental before. That's how you're going to find those golden nuggets that, that, and take advantage of arbitrage on those new platforms. I think looking, if it were me and I, I, I would master the ones we've talked about today, I would definitely be looking at Sojourn from a, from a display marketing perspective. I feel like they have it together better than anyone else. I would definitely look, be looking at content discovery type channels, whether that's an Outbrain or Yahoo Gemini, something like that. I'd be trying to create compelling content to distribute on those kind of channels. I think those are two advertising platforms that the, the hotel market really hasn't um, embraced fully yet, but there's a lot of potential opportunity there. Absolutely. All right, so is that it? Is that your 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 um, whole part? Do we uh, summarize your blog pretty well? <laughs> that's the story, and I'm sticking to it. All right. Well, if you agree with us, we'd love to hear your feedback um, on Twitter at Fuel Travel or on the blog itself. You can comment on there. I think we've got Facebook comments on the bottom of there and on the bottom of this podcast. So you can get these uh, show notes at fueltravel.com slash podcast and click on episode four zero. That's the big four zero. And the, there's a link to the actual blog article on there as well. But before we say goodbye, Pete, I think... I think, I might be wrong, but I think we might have another review. Is that correct? We do. We got one. And remember, audience, we said we will read reviews out in their entirety, even if you're making fun of Pete. This one, unfortunately, did not make fun of Pete, but we're going to read it out in its make entirety. And you can also make fun of other people, and I'll read that with even more Gusto. enthusiasm. Yeah. Yes. So this one comes to us from Gordon Wildblue. So. You think that's his real name? I'm positive it is. <laughs> that's the story he's sticking to it. Oh, yeah. Mr. Wild Blue. Yeah. So Mr. Table Wild Blue two. says the following. I think he gave me a tongue twister. He says, five-star review, first of all, I'm digging the show and you all seem to have fun with it. I always pick up something of value, which is great for us marketers who are not always in the atmosphere of smart people sharing ideas. It's good to be a fly on the wall. Toss in a few more Star Wars, Cats and Wines, and running references, and I'm confident your show will soar to even greater heights. Oh, and if you need some to send somebody to 
uh, see this is where it says we tongue twister. Oh, and if you need someone to send to review competing, preferably warm beachfront properties, I'm your man. Keep it up. Okay, we will take that under advisement. That's Mr. Wild Blue. Wild Blue, you, you did us a solid. You mentioned cats and wine. Yes. Misha has a big smile. You mentioned Star Wars. I have a big smile. You mentioned running, which if Melissa was here today, she would She'd have a big pumped. smile as well. We talk about those things a lot. Phil's just like, eh, I'm yeah, just here I today. I don't have those I things. got nothing. You need South. a thing. No Everyone else about, has a yeah. thing. No one talks about hockey here. You make fun of me for it all the beer time. Beer can be your thing. It doesn't apply to the hotel marketing <laughs> podcast. I think beer, just, beer applies to everything. Yeah. yeah. Cats and wine. Hey, I was about to say, cats yeah. and wine is right there with it. All right, so you make cats and wine fit anywhere. If you want to be read out on on live, well, it's not live, but on the podcast, make then, fun of Pete. and make fun of Pete or someone else, but definitely Pete, then we would love to get your reviews. So just go to iTunes and uh, click on the reviews. If you're using your iPhone to listen to the podcast on iTunes, you actually have to go search for the podcast. Just search for Fuel uh, Hotel Marketing Podcast. Pull it up there. You can click on reviews. And then there's a button there that says write a review. You can do it right from there. You don't have to do anything else. It takes you two seconds, and we will read it out on the podcast. We'd love to get some more reviews, get some feedback, hear how we're doing. And Misha wants some wine. So uh, where can they find you guys on the web? Peter. Well, they can find me on Twitter at PDiMeo, P-D-I-M-A-I-O. And Philip. You can find me at P-Fariska. That's P-F-O-R-I-S-K-A. And Misha. You can find me at Marketing Misha. That is at Marketing M E I S H A. And more importantly, they you can, can send wine to 3023 Church Street in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, 29577. <laughs> I await your packages. You just gave out a real office address, not that weird monkey. Yeah. Whatever address it was. It's she not like she it's doesn't a want to jeopardize yeah. where the wine goes. That's our yeah. office address, not Misha's home address. Yes, just to clarify. Just to clarify. <laughs> to clarify. But you're welcome just to send us wine. Although, yeah. although I do believe it's illegal to set, send uh, alcohol in the in the royal, uh, well, not False. royal, that's England, in the postal service in South Carolina. Is that not true? False. I received a bottle of champagne. That doesn't once. mean it's not illegal. <laughs> I've they, received it. They, but made, it, they made me sign for it to make sure I was 21. Yeah, but when you try to order... I got carded by the UPS guy. Right, but... <laughs> on, it's legit. <laughs> that's pretty cool. <laughs> on Amazon, you can order wine, right? There's like the whole wine store, but you cannot ship it to South Carolina. Huh. Yeah, there's a, it's weird. Yeah, this is like 2010. I yeah. Don't, no. So you, you might have to break a federal law or two. To, to or just it. hand deliver it to me personally. That would be very weird. That would be really weird. Uh, but you can find us online at Fuel Travel, and we'd love to hear your feedback and questions. We haven't asked for questions in a while. We need to get some questions. Yeah, to, send some questions. Yeah, we like to give answers to questions and things. Uh, but you can, again, get the podcast notes at fueltravel.com slash podcast. Click on episode 40. Find us online at Fuel Travel, and until next time, you have been listening to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. Swimming is an arms race. <laughs> <laughs>